0: But for us, all of us this morning, uh, would you please, as we continue to worship, open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians, a few pages over, to chapter 12. We're going to look at verses uh, 14 and 15 this morning, where we begin to see, uh, of course, I I would probably have to say, we see over and over and over again, maybe, uh, Paul's passion. I've looked at. Uh, this letter these are the last few chapters here from kind of different points of view we've looked at it uh, as paul as an illustration which we will we'll do today what is paul doing uh, how do we learn from that what are some elements that paul is is working through that we as followers who want to grow in the grace uh, grow in our sanctification grow in service to our king what do we need to implement what are some things that we need to be seeing growing in our lives I've also looked at this from the false teachers. What do we, what should we not be doing? And of course, we see that third group floating around, which is the Christians, the church. Uh, no doubt there are some confused Christians in Corinth. There are some maybe some false uh, professors of Christ there. We know the teachers are false. Paul did not, um, he did not shy away from telling us that they are workers there in line with Satan. That's uh, that's that, And that needs to be said today, false teachers in line with Satan. We might get some some hate mail for that one, I don't know. But Paul has instructed us in all these areas, and he's dealing with this group of people. And we've seen a little bit of the frustration that Paul has gone through. They're questioning, as we saw last week, his apostleship. The, The very apostle who planted the church, where all the signs and miracles of an authentic apostle, of an authentic work of God were there, and yet... They've come to this place where they're questioning Paul. We might think that, well, there must be um, something different in Paul. Well, there clearly is a drive, but he has uh, the same Holy Spirit that we have. He has a unique calling, no doubt. as an apostle uh, planting churches in the New Testament. Uh, We don't have that calling, but we do have the Lord's Spirit And we want to grow in this passion. And so this morning, the message is the believer's sacrificial service. Because this is what Paul is doing. Paul is serving. He will not yield uh, to to the enemy. He will not let the enemy have its way. He will. He will come and proclaim and point back to Jesus. He's got some spiritual grit. could say it like that. And so for us this morning, we want to grow in that passion in our service. We, want to, we don't want to lose sight of who we're serving, because Paul has a firm grasp, as we talked about the revelation God has given him and uh, the things he has suffered through, and, and yet he, he knows where he's heading. He knows the calling on his life. He is not operating with any type of doubt or insecurity, even though he's, he's been whipped and beat. And shipwrecked and stoned, and the list goes on. His sky just doesn't stop. He is the the energizer bunny of apostles. He is going. And so, what is it, Paul? I want to be marked as one who keeps going. And yet, in the first whipping, I'd probably been like, okay, I'm out. But Paul goes through five of them, three with rods. He has a passion. His service is rooted in a passion for Christ. There was a quote that I found as studying for this sermon, and it was by the famous author Unknown. I know someone wrote it out there, but that's how it came to me. And uh, the person, this Unknown, goes on to talk about how we might feel inadequate to be serving the King. We might be tempted to look at our past life and the limitations that we have, and we might think, God is great and grandiose, and yet I'm a nobody. What can I do for the kingdom? And the last part is really the part I want to read here. He says, you know, then our passion for God and our passion to communicate Him will make mincemeat of our limitations. I thought that was a good quote. This morning, we can find many reasons to give in and give up, and yet Paul is pressing on. While there is breath, and we have many heroes of the faith who could say the same thing. Uh, Bonhoeffer. While it is day, I'll labor. The Lord can come tomorrow. We hear it for our heroes. It should be echoed from us. So in these two short verses, we see Paul's conviction, his struggle. No doubt the issue with money is floating around in there. Paul didn't ask money from the Corinthians, and they're a little upset at that, which is usually backwards, you know, today. Um, But this is what he's dealing with. Verse 14 and 15, he says here, For this third time, I am ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden to you, for I do not seek what is yours, but you. For children are not responsible to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. I will most gladly spend and be expended for your souls. If I love you more, Am I to be loved less? Let's offer a brief prayer as we look at these verses this morning. Father, we ask that you would open your word to us. We are followers of Jesus Christ. Lord, we have counted the cost. We have picked up our crosses. We are following and we are in need. Lord, of instruction from your word. This is an area in which we might struggle. Serving and being humble and pressing on, these things that go against the flesh, that often go against the culture, go against the current. Lord, we need your Spirit. And so, Lord, I ask that you would open it to us, instruct us today, get me out of the way, that we would receive what you have for us, and that, Lord, we would grow in our holiness and in our obedience, that this would not simply be knowledge. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's been an interesting week as I was thinking about back on this week last Sunday evening we had the opportunity to watch a pre-screening of the documentary The Essential Church and in that we saw the conviction of three pastors who said we are responsible unto the Lord. We have a right and a duty to their government, but when the government says you cannot worship the church is to worship. We see that as uh, the three spheres of divine institution. God has made the family back in Genesis 2. He has uh, started the, the development of government. We see that in, in Samuel. And, of course, we see the, the church in the New Testament. Uh, these are all gods, and they all have a responsibility. And even uh, there is instructions to the government and what they're supposed to be doing in Romans 13. But we saw that there, are, there is a conviction, there is a need to serve the church, to stand with God's word. Uh, We know, I hope that you know, that no souls will come to Christ if the gospel isn't preached. There must be something um, that is communicated about Jesus, about sin for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has told us He works according. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. We must communicate it, and even beyond that, it is the Lord's day. It is a day He has commanded us to come and to worship. And so we experience that, and I encourage you, I know it's open in theaters now, if you're able to go watch it or didn't get a chance to come and see it, go watch it. Uh, Let it be an encouragement to you. Uh, We also got to experience yesterday, the first time that we've done that, of serving the first responders. So we see uh, in this one week, those serving in the church, the spiritual element, and we also see another element of the extension of God's sphere of government, our first responders, and us just responding to that and serving them. Uh, to which uh Thank you again to all those who've come and serve. And so we, as we look at service, and I don't want you to get so focused down into the weeds that it is a very specific thing, but it is a multiple uh, thing throughout your life. Uh, we want to be in the church that stands together, essential, because uh, our conviction is as Christians to come together and worship the Lord. And we want to serve in the church. We want to deal with the spiritual needs of every soul. And we realize there's a responsibility in our community. We're so thankful for those who would simply, without even knowing us, of course, Jack was going around telling everyone yesterday, remember this face. He said, if there's a fire burning and you see this face, save this face first. That's what he was telling them. Without knowing us, they will go into arm's way. We see how the Lord has structured uh, the world. Both have, uh, or all three have their responsibility. And so Paul is, is showing us the focus, the service, right? The spiritual needs. He's, he's jumping into this church. He has not yielded in any way. And so he has sacrificial service. He has told us that he loves them. And yet, he said this back in chapter 11 he said, As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be stopped. In the regions of Achaia. And he says, why? Because I do not love you. And he says, God knows I do. He's going to serve this church sacrificially as he has been doing. And he loves them. And nothing is going to get in the way between him and the gospel, not even money. And yet, what do we see in verse 15? If I love you more, am I to be loved Less. Paul is characterized by a consistent readiness. Service is ongoing everywhere. I serve at all times here. It's focused on the Corinthian church, and he has no doubt served this church. There have been uh, multiple uh, visits, there have been uh, two canonical letters, there have uh, been the extension of other emissaries as Paul uh, Paulus, Titus and Timothy who have gone. Paul has invested quite a bit, and now he's telling them for a third time, I'm coming to you. I'm going to be there. You can imagine some in the Corinthian church are going, why? We're not so sure you're the real deal. Paul considers himself, as we've read, as the spiritual parent. He is the church planter, yet there is a problem. The more he loves, the less they love him back. I don't know if you've ever experienced that in your life. The more you love, the, the, the one, the response is rejection. We see this is, the, this is what's happening, the issue of money, the false teachers, the lying that is going on, the divisions that are still somewhat uh, working through there, all the, the things that might make you today go, you know what, it's a lost cause, and yet we see some, some conviction in Paul not to yield the Holy Spirit riding through him. And what does the Holy Spirit, uh, at least for us this morning, convey? What are we to get a hold of? Well, I think the first thing that Paul teaches us is not to lose sight of what this whole thing's about. The believer's sacrificial service must stay focused. Focus, verse 14. Here, uh, for this third time, I am ready to come to you. And I will not be a burden to you, for I do not seek what is yours, but you. And then he tells us an illustration for children Are not responsible to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. Paul's focus is their souls. I don't want your resources, I want you. Isn't it easy for us to lose sight of that? Have you ever gotten into a situation where you're serving and pretty soon something is said that just sets you wrong and and there's a a comment there or a thought here and pretty soon you're like, I'm done with this, I'm out. Don't have to answer that. The Corinthians, the issue is money. Paul, how come you didn't ask money of us? We think what you've communicated to the other churches is better stuff because they've supported you. You have asked no support of us, so you've withheld something. Imagine the the gossiping going around in this church. Yeah, I bet there's some better. What has he withheld? He told us last week. There were signs and wonders. God validated it. But of us today, we can get upset, right, if we don't get our own way. There's something not going right the way we want it, or someone's not serving the way I think they should serve, or whatever it might be. It's easy for us to start looking down the point of our nose. We lose sight of what this is all about. I think Paul, again, I've said this a few times, if anyone could say, all right, let me me wipe the dust off my hands of this church and move on. It's this guy. But he's not. He does not seek what is yours. I seek you. Why does Paul have this drive? Because he understands his service in the context of Christ. He's told them back in chapter 11, verse 10, Therefore I'm well content with weaknesses and insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. Paul's not coming to them and saying, My service is awesome because I'm Paul. Paul is coming in the weaknesses and insults and distresses and whatever the false teachers are saying because Christ demands Paul will endure these things, insult, distresses, Christ's sake. And no doubt, Paul has a unique testimony, doesn't he? I would imagine at some point in his life, he's thought about when he was Saul. He references these moments in his resumes. But he has has to contemplate being present at the stoning of Stephen and then heading to Damascus full of himself obtaining letters to extinguish these Christians, these people who are a part of the way. The Lord Jesus meets him on the way to Damascus. Acts 9, Luke records Acts 9, 3 through 4. It happened that when he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? I think this definitely is a motivator to no end in Paul's life. He references it. I was a persecutor of the church, but he ultimately knows I'm a persecutor of Christ. And who is he persecuting? Well, he's... Gave approval to the stoning of Stephen. He was persecuting those who were attached to the way. And he realizes that in this moment, the Lord identifies with his people. When his people are persecuted, Christ is persecuted. In Matthew 25, 37 through 40, we see these words. When the, uh, then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry? I'm pretty sure I would have saw you hungry. I would have made sure you had some, some uh, good steak, right? Not just a can of tuna, all I had in the house. I would have gave you some good food. I would have fed you. When did we see you thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did, you, when did we see you as a stranger and invite you in and, or naked and clothe you? I don't know when we've done that. Listen to the words of Jesus. He says, when... Um, The king will answer and say to them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Paul in his theology understands that the ministry of the church, he is ministering unto Christ. He will tell us a little bit later, all of this is in uh, in front of Christ. All of this is for Christ, because of Christ. We see some of the motivation that drives Paul. See, you and I will struggle with this. We'll struggle. We will lose sight over the, the pith of things. Someone said this, someone did that, whatever it might be. The list goes on. Yet Paul sees through all the noise. He focuses on the soul. He ministers unto Christ, even to the least of them. Contrary to the false teachers, who were there to get money. Focusing on the wrong things, causing dissensions and problems, laboring ultimately for Satan. That's what false teachers do. Not Paul. Paul told them in chapter 11, verse 2, For I'm jealous. I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I betrothed you to one husband. And so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. See, Paul is, as he told us, a spiritual father. He is a selfless parent, he is a sacrificial parent. His drive is that Christ would be manifested in them. This is what drives his service this is what the holy spirit focuses it drives him here it is christ and then their souls he doesn't lose sight of all those other accusations all the other issues all the other problems he stays focused on what needs to happen see so us why so we hear the noise Uh, We struggle with remaining sin. There's going to be moments where uh, there's issues and problems and concerns. There's going to be no noise. There's going to be issues. There's going to be distractions. There's going to be embitterment. There's going to be at some point in your life where you go, I don't think I can go there anymore. Because you've lost sight. Now we're talking if there's egregious sin, we want to deal with that. We're not talking about those things. We're talking about what takes us out of serving. i have lost sight that my service is for Christ. I've lost sight that it's for His sake. I've lost sight that they are souls. I've lost sight of the, of the reality that they're a soul they are going to spend eternity in one of two places, whether they like it or not. Every soul needs redemption. Every soul needs to be reconciled to their Creator. We can't do that. The Holy Spirit can do that. We are to be a church that is active. People need the Lord. Years ago, the Salvation Army was holding an international convention, and their founder, William Booth, could not attend for physical problems. But he cabled his convention message to them. was One word just simply said, others, others focus on the real issue, cut through all the noise. We live in a world full of noise. I, no doubt you've had conversations with folks who are bought into critical theory, or sexual non-binary ideas, or, or whatever the sexual revolution is now saying. And you might have concluded, well, in, my own, in, in service to the Lord, it's great, because I know I'm serving the Lord, and yet we might have those who are confused, and we need to, to speak Got to point him for Christ. Point him to Christ. See, Paul stays focused. Stays focused. Remember what it's about. How is it that he can walk away from that list of suffering back in chapter 11 and say, Here I am, I'm going to press on. Yeah, you can beat me down, you can beat this body down, but I'm going to keep going. How is that? His service is for the king. And he realized that if he does not present the king as the one way, those souls have no hope. So in our, in your service today, in your sacrificial service as a follower of Jesus Christ, don't lose sight of what it's about. We live in a world where there is only two spiritual families. The Bible knows nothing of racism. It knows of two races. Those, right, in Adam, doesn't matter the color of your skin, those in Christ. That's the battle. Don't get sucked into the noise. Engage the truth. Paul is here. He will not get sucked into what the false teachers are doing. He's going after souls. Going on to verse 15, we see this. Another thing that we can have a takeaway is that our, our sacrificial service has a distinctive character. He says, I will gladly spend and be expended for your souls. Now, last Sunday, I mentioned our our conviction is uh, revealed by humility. We are humble people. Uh, We've been to Calvary, right? Lest we forget, Lord, bring us to Calvary. We've seen what our Savior has done for us. Uh, We are humble people. But that humble and that humility is not to be some type of, of grumpy, humble humility. Ever met a grumpy person? Some of you have. <laughs> Did you want to stay around that grumpy person? We're not to be grumpy, humble people. I understand there's difficult days, but this is not to be who we are in general. Our humility is not to be some dirge of lament. You know, I got to be humble. I got oh, got to be humble. No, there's great influence in our humility, and there's character to it. John Dixon, in his book, Humilitas, he says, the most influential and inspiring people are often marked by humility. He goes on and says, humility is the noble choice to forego your status, deploy your resources, or use your influence for the good of others before yourself, more simply You could say the humble person is marked by a willingness to hold power in service to others. So that's who we are. This is the humility we've talked about last week. And so Paul this morning attaches a certain character to it. We're not just humble people who are like Eeyore. You remember Eeyore from, um, yeah, the one that bounces, right? Tigger and yeah, Winnie the Pooh. I went straight to the one who bounces. That's funny. We're not yours. There's a cheerfulness, right? There's a cheerfulness. He says, I will most gladly spend and be expended for your souls. All right. It's not that he's not thinking about not going or struggling with any issues. He's so focused on this that he's coming with gladness. I'm going to come and serve this third time with gladness. The word means experiencing happiness. No doubt the object of of Paul's happiness is who? It is Christ. The object of his joy. This is what's driving him. You think this is backwards, Paul. All these people who have now come to question your your authority and your apostleship, these that you know, you've planted this church, and now he's saying, "What? I'm going to come. Not for your resources. I'm coming for you, and I'm coming with joy. His service is rooted in joy. He says, I will spend, which means to exert great effort in doing something, and expend or expended to do anything and everything to the limit of one's capacity. And he's going to do this with happiness. Now, let me ask you a question. Can you say that about your service today? Today? Don't have to answer that. Often our service, sometimes, isn't it, is it? accompanied by some grumbling, maybe. Some attitude that's not as joyful, we could say it politely, as it should be. Can you imagine if we set up this moment to feed these first responders, and they, they came and met a bunch of grumpy, humble people? What do you think they would say walking away from that group? There's something wrong with them. The food's good, but the, but the people. Well, thankfully, right, that is not our people. But we see the point, right? We, we try to make excuses. Some will say, well, I can't do it with a, with a joyful disposition, disposition, so I just won't serve at all. Or we'll make excuses to say, well, you know, I, there's other things that need to get done. We will find multiple reasons uh, to, to stop serving. I mean, cheerfulness. I don't want to serve. I, if I don't serve with cheerfulness, I just won't serve. It's like the story of a monk who joined a monastery and he took a vow of silence. And after ten years, his superior called him and asked, Do you have anything to say? After ten years. The monk replied, Food bad. After another 10 years, the monk again had an opportunity to voice his thoughts, and he said, bed hard. After another 10 years, 30 years have gone by, and again he was called before his superior and asked if he had something to say. He responded, I quit. To which his superior responded and said, it doesn't surprise me a bit. All you've done since you've been here is grumble and complain. (laughs) We are Christians not to be marked by grumbleness, complaining. Paul says, I will gladly. My humility is a cheerfulness. Why? It's rooted in Christ. I know what I'm doing here. I know my Savior is pleased. But he also goes on, he adds another little character, uh, characteristic to this, and there is a resolve. There's a commitment. Paul says at the beginning of this, I will most gladly spend and be expended for your souls. Here we see Paul's dedication. I will do this. I am am all in on this. It's not that he's impartial, one foot in, one foot out. No, he's got both foot in, both feet in rather. And he's only committed wholly and, and committed to this church with conviction. His allegiance is to Christ. It's unwavering. This is a great lesson for us. Let's not be those who mark our service and, and then something difficult happens and our commitment just, just erodes away. We need to be those who say, no, I'm here. And while the Lord has given me breath, I'm going to use and do what I can for the service of my God. See, we are to be Christians who are marked out, radically different than the world. Uh, we are to be those who have uh, crosses on our backs, so to say, and following after Jesus. We are those who are growing in grace and mercy with cheerfulness and a conviction to follow not our way, but God's way. I love the passage in Jeremiah 6.16 where God speaking through Jeremiah is calling the Israelites back to the old paths. Come back to the old path, Come, Come back to the old ways and they would not listen. the passage reads like this, Stand by the ways and see and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is, and walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls, but they said, We will not walk in it. See, our commitment needs to be rooted specifically. It's it's in line, our conviction is in line with God's purposes and plans. We must be those who are committed, not just in a sense of how we define it. We're committed to what the Lord's mission is Uh, because we've cut through the noise. We know it's about souls. We know it's about serving the Lord. Let's be committed to the way the Lord wants us to do service, the way the Lord wants us to do church. I love this moment in history where John Huss was being burned at the stake for his commitment to, to translate the scriptures and to preach the word. He was asked, do you, uh, in Germany, he, on his 42nd birthday, he was asked one more time to, to refuse to, to preach in Christ's name, to stop uh, translating the, the word in which he said no. Will not refuse. But he went forward and said these words: What I taught with my lips, I seal with my blood. The Lord may call us, we know that in 1 John 3:16, to lay down our lives. It's a real possibility. We saw in that um, documentary last Sunday evening, there are, there are pastors who did go to prison, who did go to jail for what? To preach on Sunday. It's not as severe as what John Huss experienced, but we see the direction of our culture. The Lord yet is calling us to be firm and our service to be resolved, committed, cheerful. We know where we're going. See, the Lord has called us into this, hasn't he? Luke 9:59 through 62 says: the responses that the Lord heard about following. Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim. Go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Another also said, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say bye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, No one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, if you're here this morning, you think your excuse is going to work with the Lord, good luck with that. He calls every single one of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, be committed. Be convinced of your faith, trust in the Lord, saturate your life in the sufficiency of Christ and Calvary. Cut through all the noise. and Remember what it is all about. There's a spiritual war raging. The Bible tells us to armor up. It never says, take the armor off. It tells you to sharpen your sword and be ready to go. But this is, this is the ultimate sacrifice. Here is where Paul is going. Paul will give that ultimate sacrifice. The Roman citizen, he ultimately will lose his head. Survey. What is our problem today as an American Christianity? I would argue that we've become very comfortable in our way of living. I believe that kind of comfort breeds apathy. Someone else will do it. See, apathy breeds a lack of interest or concern. That doesn't really concern me. We become indifferent people. Apathy breeds a lack of emotion. We become impassive. Well, if I have to be here, I'll do it. See, our churches struggle here. here's Here's the war raging, I'd imagine, inside of you. You've had those moments where you've become emotionless and just impassive or indifferent or someone else will take that. It's not for me. Well, friends, apathy is growing in you. The Lord may, the Lord may come back tomorrow. Will he find us as those that Jesus said in Matthew 24 and 25, as those who are vigilant and diligent. Will he find you that way? That's what he tells us. These are the servants that I want to find when I return. Well, clearly Paul is laboring. Now, I don't want you to think that for us to serve the king means that we go on the other side of the globe and become a missionary or something. That may be, amen, go. But it's every act of service. It's every opportunity to engage other souls. It's time of encouragement, praying. It's as our morning Sunday on Saturday mornings, our men's study. It is about finding men you can confess your sins to and grow in the Lord. It's about being serious with your faith that you'll be a light that shines even brighter. I'm committed, I believe. This is who Christ is. I'm convinced there will be a day I will stand in front of him and give an account. See, what, what happens today is we find it hard or difficult to give of our time, maybe our energy, or even our money to the church. We hear that word and we think, oh, goodness, here the the pastors asking for more money. No. I don't need but the Lord does. The kingdom does. We are all ministers of the faith. The Lord is requiring of us to be committed. The Lord has given you resources and responsibilities and he's given you gifts in your own life that you are to turn around and use for the kingdom of God. The Lord knows you need food on your table. We go back and read the Sermon on the Mount. He understands all of those things, but he also wants you to realize that your resources are for kingdom growth and impact. This is where Paul is laboring. Paul is kingdom focused. He's doing this cheerfully with complete conviction and he is resolved in it. His time is here. His energy is here. His resources are all here. I think it's important for us to remember what Paul has said of Christ to this church. He has told them in chapter eight, verse nine, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. How is it that we become rich? We know in heaven our soul is taken care of, but here on earth, as redeemed believers, how do we know we are rich? We become those with a cheerful disposition who are steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord because we know that our labor in the Lord is not in vain. So Paul labors here. He drives here. He's committed here. Here's his sacrificial service. All that he has is here to the point where he'll go without to ask money from this congregation just because that might stir up a problem regarding the proclamation of the gospel. I'll serve with all of these areas. C.S. Lewis said You never know how much you really believe anything until its truth or falsehood becomes a matter of life and death. It is easy to say you believe a rope to be strong as long as it is merely used to cord a box. But suppose you had to hang by that rope over a precipice. Wouldn't you then first discover how much you really trusted it? The true ministry selflessly seeks the betterment of others. It cuts through the noise. It understands we're in a spiritual warfare. There is those who will go into eternity and to heaven who will hear the words, "Well done, a good and faithful servant." Who will also hear the words. Others will hear the words, "I do not know you." Let us be those with a distinctive character, marked out, our commitment, our resolve in the simple areas of our life. How the Lord leads us to be those who are committed with cheerfulness. Serving. Don't get lost in all the noise. Stay focused. There are souls. And my last point simply here this morning is the believer's sacrificial service continues despite recompense. Paul says, if, if I love you more, am I to be loved less? Gives us a rhetorical question. We would say, no. The reality is that's what's happening. Seems like the more he loves them, the less they respond in a positive way. But I want to stress upon you the, the certainty of Paul. Again, we see, I love. I love. I will, I will serve, I, I, I love. It's not wishful thinking. It doesn't stop him in his ways. He's committed totally to this church. He's given uh, multiple letters, multiple instruction, multiple visits. He's sent multiple friends of the gospel. He's done all these things, and he's still telling us, I will love, I will love. Now, the members of the church should have responded with, a genuine response, a genuine response of affection and respect. Well, what do we learn from this? The opposite is true. You're going to have times in your service where maybe you give of your time and your energy and your resources, and the response is a thankless one. Now, a disciple who knows what the big picture is is not going to bother you that that might be a struggle for us. Love is not always reciprocated. Sometimes we go unnoticed. The reality is we serve to serve. Now, it's good, and we should acknowledge those who serve. The Bible is replete in those areas, but sometimes you may not get that. Don't let that stop you. We may have that thought in our mind, well, I did that last time and no one acknowledged me, so I'm not going to do it again. Or, uh, you know, I was looking for some type of recognition, it wasn't there. Or, you know, I did this because I thought I would get something out of it and it didn't pan out. Whatever the, 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 the thought with that might be. Our service must be simply pure and obedient to Christ. The focus is soul. So my character is cheerfulness and resolve. And I'll serve, even though we might experience the opposite in response ac pearson says this whatever is done for god without respect of its comparative character as related to other acts is service and only that is service service is comprehensively speaking doing the will of god he is the object All is for him, for his sake, as unto the Lord, not as unto man. Hence, even the humblest act of the humblest disciple acquires a certain divine quality by its being done with reference to him. He says, the supreme test of service is this. For whom am I doing this? Much that we call service to Christ is not such at all. If we are doing this for Christ, we shall not care for human reward or even recognition. Our work must again be tested by three propositions. Is the work from God? Is it in line with his word? Is the work for God? Christ's sake, souls is the work with God, sharing his word, trusting the Holy Spirit. See, that's, This is where we find Paul. His labor, his service is from God. It's for God. It's with God. How does Paul cut through all of this? He has this wonderful conviction, this wonderful theology. He sees through the noise. He understands despite the issues, the concern of money, despite the false teachers, its souls. Because Christ and, and blesses his labor, because that church has enjoyed uh, the, the, the working of the Lord, the validation of God's activity, he knows. He knows he can be cheerful. I will continue. God planted this church. I will resolve. I will be confident. And regardless of their response, which Paul has demonstrated over and over again, he will press on. See, church, we need to be those who are marked out this way. It doesn't mean we go to the other side of the globe. It doesn't mean we have to become pastors in the pulpit. Maybe the Lord is calling you that way. Then that's where you need to go. But we need to be in our activity Everywhere we go, what we do, full of cheerfulness and devotion to our Lord, that we would seize these opportunities to cut through the noise and get after the soul. Let us be people who are marked this way. The war that we're in, the spiritual battle, isn't going away. It's going to continue to rage, and we need to be those who are marked and ready. We know what this is about. We know there are souls in the balance. We know the Lord will bless our efforts when they're in line with his word. So despite the response, I can be cheerful and resolved. What a great king Paul serves. What a great king we serve. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness, your grace to us today that we see a simple, simple truths out of your word that we can apply to our lives, that we would be servants Servants of Christ who don't get bogged down in the noise and the issues. Yes, those things need to be addressed. And Paul addresses them when the time is right. But it doesn't stop him from serving. So let us be those marked out that way. Let us have that wonderful character about us as Christians. We should, above all people, be cheerful. I know where I'm going. I know what's ahead of me. Those inexpressible words that Paul could not share they're ahead of me. I get to enjoy those one day. Lord, let us, while we're here, be committed in our cheerfulness and our service. Lord, let us be marked out as those who will continue to go, even though we might not get the response that we like. Let us realize that in our time of prayer and devotion, that we would know you are well pleased. Lord, we give you the the praise Lord, we we acknowledge you in all these areas. You are good. Encourage us, edify us, Lord, with this word, your truth. Grow us in our sanctification, our conviction to follow and to be used of you for your glory and for your kingdom. Bless the souls here this morning. Lord, let them realize their part and their purpose in this world. You've called us to be ministers. Let us serve this way for your glory. And we pray it all in the wonderful, powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.